Thank you, Brother Nick and the worship team and Mercy Hill. Uh, it is awesome to be here with you this morning. I am pumped to be here with you mor- this morning. And I'll tell you what, Mercy Hill, I just love that name. I love that name because you are a hill placed here to show the mercy of God. Isn't that awesome? So I'm here, uh, obviously, right now, uh, you may not know, but we're in from... We're, Technically, I guess, for, from Jacksonville, Florida, but we've been in Las Vegas uh, going through a church planning residency. We'll be moving to Denver. Uh, we move in on June 5th, um, really in a northwest city called Westminster and uh, Broomfield, Colorado. And um, so our family has been on a path for the last couple of years that have been exciting um, and yet somewhat humbling. And then um, somewhat I'm wondering if my wife is still believed that I'm uh, sane because we are uh, going in this endeavor of church planning and uh, I was pastoring for quite a few uh, years, and God just broke our hearts for church planting when we realized this fact, that North America is now the fourth law, largest lost nation in the whole world. Behind China, India, and Indonesia lies us. So in our own backyard, we have multiple, multiple amounts of people who do not have a relationship with God at all. In fact, uh, I just want to talk to you briefly about why Denver. Why Denver? Denver, back in 2016, was ranked by U.S. World News as the best place to move to and live in 2016 because of its outdoor life, because of its sport atmosphere, because of the, the, the lifestyle, the art, culture, and just all of these great things they ranked it about. So in the Front Range area, which is from Fort Collins, Colorado, all the way down to Colorado Springs, is 4.3 million people reside on the Front Range area. Here's a staggering number, and you can make what you want about data and stats, but regardless, these represent people, and it says that there's 90% of those people do not have a relationship with God. That's like here in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, because that's the bigger city, obviously, to go to any of the busiest intersections in Jacksonville, Florida. Stop at that intersection. You're probably the only believer there. It's a staggering fact that our nation now is one of the largest nations that do not have a relationship with God. It's staggering when you think about that number, but when you really think about that number and realize that those numbers don't just represent number, but they represent families. They represent people. They represent children. So what God, I believe, has done, he has uniquely positioned Denver, as it, which it is now, the most domestic immigrated city in America. In other words, people are flocking there. And we believe that God is sending a, lo- a wave amount of people there for what they think is for an outdoor experience to meet the r- real experience of our Lord. And so we're just pumped about being there. But let me give you some other stats here. Out of 115 zip codes... 200 of those, or, or 115 zip codes out of 200 with no SBC church. And so we can look at, say, SBC or just regular, regular churches. If it was just church across the board that believed Christ, believed in the doctrines that we believe in, that's one church per 33,000 people. That means to house the population, if they were to reach everybody, every church that's existing now would have to house 33,000 people. It's just staggering when you think about the fact that this represents people and families and this represents people in our own backyard. Now, I am not saying by any means that this is more important than international missions or anything like that. I just think that God is uniquely bringing people here to us so that we can reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Denver happens to be one of the cities that God has called us to. So I want to take just about three or four minutes, and really what I want to do is just walk you through uh, what we are calling our vision frame. And really what this does is this just frames around four questions to help you realize and give you a visual of what uh, we're about. The first question is, what are we about? Every church has to know what it's about. Like, if somebody visits Mercy Hill, they should be able to say, hey, what's your church about? And you should be able to say, hey, it's a missional church. You just heard your pastor tell you it's a missional church. We're reaching here. We're getting to Europe. We're doing this. So you should be able to answer that. So for us, what are we about? We're just going to give you our mission statement. It's this. It's leading people to discover a true relationship with Jesus. It's just leading people to discover a true relationship with Jesus. That's what we're about. Everything that we do is about that. That's our mission statement. So I want to ask the question then, if that's what we're about, why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Well, we believe values drive your decisions. What we value drives who we are. If you value attendance in church, this is, you're going to be here. If you value your quiet time with the Lord, you're going to spend that time with God. So what we value drives our decisions. So here's our values, God dependence. We believe without God we can do nothing. We believe with God we can do all things. So God dependence. We value generous living. And what this means is we live life actively looking for the opportunity to be generous with someone, with our time, talents, our gifts, whatever that is. Maybe it's just sitting with them and mourning with them. But we're looking, we're actively looking, not passively in reaction to what happens, but actively looking where we can be generous in someone's life with what God has blessed us with, either as time, talents, or gifts. Authentic community. Life is all about relationships. Our, our relationship with God is not wrapped in religion. It's wrapped in a relationship, daily relationship. And so authentic community for us tells us that life is all about relationships. So we're going to cultivate in people this loving relationship with them. Not, hear me, not for the purpose only to get them to Jesus, but so that they see Jesus through us authentically. And so this is an opportunity where we can be authentic in community we're relating with these people. And finally, kingdom expansion. Our, our last uh, value that we believe in is kingdom expansion. We believe out of these four values, you can pretty much drop anything within these categories. Obviously, we value prayer, but it's underneath God dependence. Obviously, we value church and gathering, but it's underneath God dependence. Obviously, we, we, we value these things, but we feel like we can put them in these four categories. But kingdom expansion for us says this. We seek to join God's activity in Denver the front range, and the world. So we, we're already, just so you know, we are already about sending. Already about sending. So kingdom expansion. So that answers our why, but if that's the why, we have to ask ourselves how. How are we going to do this thing? Like, how do you re reach 4.3 million people? Well, you, you really can't as a church. We believe you do it one community at a time. The community where Mercy Hill sits right now, God has uniquely placed you here to reach the community that you're about so that you can reach the communities across the world. And that's exciting when you think about the idea of all that you, you, you guys have been able to accomplish and reach. When there's a lot of churches that are, that are not reaching the, even the community that they're in, but you guys are actually have your fingerprints all across the world. And for that, I would say, man, I'm pumped. I'm thankful that you have a kingdom of God perspective I'm glad that your leaders are sitting here and teaching you what it means to be a kingdom-minded church. And so for that, thank you so much for that. But how are we going to do this? We believe since life is all about relationships, our strategy is based around time. Because what does it take to build relationships? Time. So we feel if we can challenge our people in our church around these four, these four strategies, dwell time, gather, uh, discover time, gather time, go time. 
Simply what that means is we're going to challenge our people in our church to have a dwell time with God. That's time spent daily, personally, with Jesus Christ on a daily rhythm of their life. Give God first, give God your time, this dwell time. If we can empower them and put in them the, the desire and the time to spend in what we're calling discover groups, which is kind of this idea of our small groups, where they're going to discover and learn more about Jesus in that time, in that small group setting. We want to encourage them to invest time in our gather time, which is what we're doing here this morning, this corporate gathering together, which is just simply time spent in corporate worship. And then finally, we want them to invest time in going. We want them to go on mission for God locally and globally across the whole world of wherever they have opportunities to go. We feel if we can get them to just invest these four categories of time we're not going to be perfect, but if they can do that, we believe God is so big, they're going to grow. And in that strategy, we can reach them. So that's how we're going to do it. But then we got to ask, finally, when do we know we're successful? Like, it's great to have a mission. It's great to have a strategy. It's great to have all the values. But how do you know when you're hitting the target? How do you know when you're actually producing what we're called to produce? And Matthew 28 tells us every church exists for this main reason, to make disciples and baptize them, and then go on to teach them, and then make disciples. Ultimately, you exist to make disciples. Matter of fact, I read your mission statement. That's exactly what your mission statement says. It says you exist to what? Make disciples. So if you're making disciples, how do you know when you're doing that? So our measures, how we're going to measure that, is based around the acrostic all. We're challenging our people to be all in. So the acrostic all for us tells us that we believe as much as possible that we are producing disciples when they are abiding, when they are loving, and when they are leading. Let me break that down for you. Abiding means that this disciple has the characteristics, is motivated to abide uh, in Christ personally and daily. Like John, First John tells us over and over, abide in him and he's in you. Abide in the love of the brotherhood. Abide. So this idea of abiding is a mark of a disciple. Another mark is love. We believe a disciple loves other believers in community. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, they're going to know you're my disciples. How? Because you have love for one another. I mean, my goodness, if the church can't love one another, why would they want to come and be a part of that, right? So Jesus says, one of your identifying marks is that you have love for one another. And then finally, lead. We expect and are actually commanded as a disciple that you lead others to Jesus. And so we are challenging them to be all in. So we believe if they have these three marks, as best as we can tell, because God knows their heart, we are actually producing disciples. So an investment in True Point Church which is the name of the church we're planting, is an investment not only in the kingdom of God, but is an investment into the overreaches areas of the world. An investment, we believe you don't give to a church, you give through a church. And as you give through the church, the church then is able to accomplish much for the kingdom of God. And so that's our values. That's what we believe in. We hold this loosely, knowing when we get to Broomfield and Westminster that, you know, we might need to add another value. Maybe there's something in this culture that we've missed that they really value. We want to make sure we add that in there. And so this gives us a roadmap to kind of get to where we want to go um, and keeps us successful, kind of gives us rails because we, we believe ministry runs on the rails of relationships. And so this gives us something to be able to to kind of have a path, knowing that we hold this loosely because God is big and God can do many things in whatever he wants to do. And I don't want to handcuff God, if that's possible, by me not being able to be uh, pliable and moldable 
for that. So I just wanted to share for a few moments. There's much more of this uh, that goes a little bit more in detail, but I wanted you to know who's speaking to you today has a heart for these values, and here's our mission statement, and just kind of give you a little bit of a rough vision frame of what this church is about and what we're planting there in Denver. And I wanted to give you just some stats, nothing too overbearing, but folks, we are now the fourth largest lost nation. Think about that. When we think about all the multiplicity of the churches and all that we are built on the Word of God and Christian go, roots go deep. God is uniquely, I believe, bringing lostness here so that we can shine the light upon them. And so uh, True Point Church is a church that exists for that, and Mercy Hill is a church that's obviously existing for that. So thank you for a few moments for me to talk to you about, your, about the vision frame about True Point Church. But if you have your Bibles, would you, would you turn to Luke 10 this morning? Luke 10, and I'm just going to be again reading in the very first verse. And really what I want to do this morning as you make your way there is unpack one statement. I just want to give you a statement, and then I just want to unpack that statement. Luke chapter 10. Here's the statement. Jesus sends his church on his mission. Jesus sends his church on his mission. And all I want to do is take this statement and break it into three categories. First is Jesus sends... The second is his church. And finally, of course, you've guessed it, on his mission. So Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go... Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Don't miss that statement. He sends us out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Verse 4. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one along the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if it's not, it will return to you. Verse 7. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God, notice that, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that again, here it is, the kingdom of God has come near. So when we look at the scriptures here, we understand that Jesus is giving direction and instruction, which actually has a commandment in it, and then he gives us a little bit more detail of how they're supposed to do that. Now, I served in the Army. I was stationed at Fort Bragg from 99 to, well, actually 2000 to 04. Um, so I was about basically five years, um, again, showing my age, and I appreciate you being very kind to say that we were young, because we are, brother, extraordinarily young. Um, so much so young, I have a 16-year-old daughter and a nine-year-old daughter, and a four-year-old boy. So I don't know what we were thinking about spacing them out, other than having a built-in home babysitter. So that's pretty cool. Um, but so I was in the Army. I was stationed at Fort Bragg, so I served in the Army. And, of course, 9-11 happened. And when 9-11 happened, they shut down the, the base and called us back. We had just left that morning for PT, and they called us back and said, you got to get back to the base. And we got back. I got to my brother's house. We saw it on the news. They called us. They said, we're blacking out base. Everybody's got to get back. So I had to rush back. I had to tell my, my wife, hey, look, i got to get well, We weren't even married yet. 
Um, I said, yeah, we were married. So she's not here today. Whew. All right. Uh, she'll be in the later one. Um, but I was like, hey, look, so I got to go back, honey. I'm sorry. I get all the way back. They, they shut down the base. They call it a blackout where nobody can come or go off the base. Once you're there, you're done. You're sitting for two days waiting on what's going on. Anyway, I say all that to say, we came up on orders to go to Afghanistan. We were going to be stationed in Uzbekistan, and just kind of fly back and forth across the range to uh, Kabul and, and those places in Afghanistan. So, but here's the thing. They gave me the mission, and here was the mission. They said, hey, you, you're going to go to Afghanistan by way of Uzbekistan, and that's all you need to know. You're going on this date, and you're going to leave on this date. You're going to go, and this is what the deal is. You're going to go there, and this is what you're going to do. All we knew was that we were going to Afghanistan. All we knew was that we got the very kind of like just the 30,000 view of here's what you're doing. You're going to Afghanistan. And we were like, okay. When we actually got there, then they broke it apart and said, now, here, now that you're here, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. They gave us specifics to the detail of the mission that we were doing. They gave us specifics to where we were doing and where we were going and what time we were going to do it and how long we were going to be there and when we could make phone calls and when we could not make phone calls, when we could do emails because this is a little while ago, um, you know, so texting and all that stuff wasn't what it was, so we had to pick and choose when we had time. So they gave us specifics. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, like, here's the deal. We need laborers into the harvest, so go. And he, he kind of gives them this 30,000 view. And then you look from verses 3 to 12, he actually takes that and unpacks it and gives them specifics of how they're going to accomplish their mission. So Jesus sends his church on his mission. So first off, Jesus sends. When Jesus sends, notice he uses this word, this word what I got in here in my New American Standard, is appointed. It says, verse 1, now, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. So this implies to me, the earlier chapters, when Jesus sent out to 12, this is 70 others. This is not necessarily just those 12, but this is 70 others. And so Jesus looks, and Jesus sends by appointing them. This wasn't the idea that the 70 others came up with. They weren't like, hey, this would be pretty cool, man. Let's just uh, go tell Jesus we want to go reach people for the gospel. No, see, Jesus is the one who initiates it. Jesus is the one who identified them and appointed them for the task at hand. Now, this word appointed actually carries with it this idea of being assigned a duty or a responsibility. So when Jesus is appointing and identifying them, he is clearly giving them a responsibility and an assigned duty for them to do. Jesus is sending his people... For a purpose. Jesus, by appointing them, tells them, here is your assignment. Jesus identified those who would go. You know, it makes it a lot easier, especially as a pastor, but um, certainly as a church planner. Because I guess one of the things you think of when you... The first like, basic level of church planning is you're like, oh, who's going to go with us? Like, like, God, I mean, like, I know you're big and you're awesome, but we need somebody to go with us, you know? And we, we, we say these things, and we say, God, we need to go with us. But it's actually Jesus who builds his team. It's actually Jesus who sends his team. It's actually Jesus who appointed and assigned them this, this duty, this responsibility. Jesus sends first by appointing them. You know what this does? This neglects any opportunity for the man to see ministry as a job and understand it as a calling. Because ministry, if it's a, a job, then I can quit when I want. But if this ministry is a calling, then I can't quit because God has called me to this. So by Jesus appointing them, there's no arguments. By Jesus appointing them, there's no opportunity for them to say that this isn't a good plan, right? I mean, who's going to look at Jesus and be like, um, I don't know. It's like, I think it's a better plan if we do this, right? So Jesus sends by appointing. 
Jesus assigned not, or identified not only who they were, but he assigned what they would do. So Jesus isn't just picking the people out that he's sending, but he's also assigning them what they are to do. Again, this neglects man's best strategies, man's best missional input, man's best whatever it is. Jesus appoints, Jesus sends, and he gives the assignments. Notice Jesus gave them specific tasks. Notice here in verse 2, he says, And he was saying to them, The the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Earlier, he gives us the snapshot. He goes, look, here's the deal. You're going to go in pairs ahead of him to every city. And notice he said where he sent them, to the city. Every city and place where he himself was going to come. Now, whether Jesus was going to follow them or Jesus was just going to be there because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in us. So where we go, Jesus is there. That's why we, he never leaves or forsakes us. He is always, always with us. Whatever that is, Jesus tells them, you're going to go. He identified the assignment. He identified the people. What that does for us, it takes out a lot of the headache. What that does for us is allows us to be in prayer, being praying, being praying, and Jesus brings us the laborers. Jesus sins. Jesus sins. Not only did he send them by appointing them, but notice that Jesus didn't just appoint them, assign them, and tell them what they were going to do and left them out. He actually sent them. Notice he tells them in the verse, he says in verse 3, he says, now go. So he's telling them, pray to the Lord of the harvest that the Lord would send out these laborers. By the way, you're praying for the very thing that you are, so go. What that does then is that doesn't, that doesn't let anybody off in the church of the hook. Because here's the one thing. You're either going to be going or you're going to be praying. And really, if you're praying, then you're actually going. Because what you're doing is you are putting feet to the ground by your prayer, by your actions of what you're praying for. <laughs> Jesus is saying, I've appointed you, I've assigned you, and then he sent them. He didn't say, here's the 70 others, here's the assignment, here's enough, pick out some people that you're going to send. He's like, here's the 70 others, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, oh, and you're going. And so there's, there's this idea that Jesus appoints, but he sends. The word sent here means that they have been dispatched to a goal or for a purpose. To a goal or for a purpose. Notice he sent them praying. This word beseech means with urgency. It means that we are praying in such a way that we know we're the fourth largest lost nation. We are praying in such a way that there is an urgent need for someone to communicate the gospel, but also live out the gospel in the lives of people. It means that that Jesus is saying, you're going, and while you're going, the imperative command here is that you're to be praying. So even as you're representing and an answer to the prayer for you praying for them to go, while you're going, pray for others to go because the harvest is plentiful and the people are few as far as the laborers. Praying, beseech with urgency. So Jesus sent his people praying. But he didn't only just send them praying, he sent them proclaiming. Notice here, Jesus sent his people praying and proclaiming. In the verse here, uh, verse 3, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest. So there's your praying. Here's verse 3, go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. He gives them specifics. And then if you drop down a little bit further, you get to verse 8. He says, whatever city that you enter, they receive you, eat what's set before you, but proclaim the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is near. So Jesus sent them praying, and Jesus sent them proclaiming. So when Jesus appointed, he had a task at hand. The task at hand was for them to go. 
the assignment was for them to proclaim the word of God. So we see here that Jesus sends, praying for the kingdom of God, proclaiming about the kingdom of God. Jesus sins. You know, I know you guys have been going through the book of Acts. And, um, and when you really look at Acts, and it's, it's about the church, we understand that, but ultimately the overarching thing, what really the book of Acts is really about, is about the kingdom of God. Acts 1.8, Jesus is in his resurrection state. Jesus has been now for 40 days in his resurrection, resurrection state, and he's visiting all the disciples. And what the Bible tells us is that he is teaching and telling them about the kingdom of God. Then the book of Acts closes... So the book of Acts opens with Jesus proclaiming about the kingdom of God because he goes, you're going to go to Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And then the book of Acts closes with Paul on house arrest where the people are freely coming to Paul and it says that Paul is teaching them and telling them about the kingdom of God. So really the book of Acts, the opening and the closing, the two bookends of Acts is closed about the kingdom of God and God's way of accomplishing getting the kingdom of God proclaimed and prayed for is through the church. And so when we look at it that way and understand that we are a tool, a vehicle as a church that God uses to accomplish His task, things get a little bit clearer. Jesus sins. There's a few examples and I'll move on to my second point. Let's I, I don't know, Pastor Mike, maybe you can, I, I don't know, I haven't really done an exhaustive study on this, but I would be extremely hard-pressed to see anywhere in Scripture where God appointed someone and never sent them. You see God in the burning bush with Moses. Well, even go back before of Moses, there's Abraham, right? God sees Abraham and he says in Genesis chapter 12, go out, doesn't even know where he's going. Go out and I'm going to send you to a place that's going to be flowing with milk and honey, but you're going to go out. So God appointed him and then he sent him. You get to Moses, the burning bush. Jesus is like, hey, you're going to go get my, pe- my people out of bondage. And so what he does is he appoints them. Of course, Moses says, well, I'm probably not the best per- person to be doing this job. I don't really talk really well. And George, but Jesus appointed him. Jesus sent him. I mean, you can go on further and look at the scriptures of Joshua. Joshua carried the torch from Moses and goes into the promised land. Jesus appointed, sends. You see David, who was to lead, his whole, lead the whole nation through conquering all the armies. Appointed, sent. Peter. Peter becomes one of the biggest pillars He denies Jesus, that I might just add, that when he denied Jesus, he was probably never in a better place ever to want to serve for Jesus than the fact that he knew he'd let Jesus down. Let me tell you something. When we let Jesus down, because we do, uh, don't let that bend you out of the frame. Jesus knows what he got when he got you. And also this, that Jesus isn't surprised by it. Jesus just knows, like what we sung, I've deposited me into jars of clay, and every now and then they crack. But it's he who holds the church together. It's he who holds you together. So he says here, Peter falls, but then Peter, Acts, early books of Acts, you've already went through it, Peter was preaching a message he would have never preached earlier before that time. And then, of course, Saul, come to Paul, goes to Damascus, and here's Saul persecuting the church. Next thing you know, he's a church planner. He's out there planting churches left and right. This goes on and on. Jesus sins. Since Jesus sends his church, and we know he does, then this brings up a question. Who does Jesus send? That's the second point of the statement I want to unpack. Jesus sends his church. Look at verse 3 here. Go. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt. He kind of gives specifics here of material things not to take with you. Verse 5. 
He gives a, more here, whatever house. Notice the progression. He sends them with nothing. He sends them to the house, and then he sends them to the city. We have a beautiful principle, a beautiful strategy here that Jesus is doing. Jesus sends his church. So, if Jesus sends his church, here's the question. How does he send his church? First off, Jesus sends his church relying upon him. Nothing Mercy Hill accomplishes is ever accomplished apart from him. Listen, he sends us relying upon him. This is what the scripture says. Notice here he says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's encouraging. Try to grow your church on that. Hey, come to Mercy Hill. We're going to send you out as lambs in the midst of the wolves. Yeah, I bet you the attendance probably wouldn't be very good. So what is Jesus doing? Well, if you just take the contrast of lambs and wolves, I think we'll get an idea. Lambs. Lambs are equipped to clothe. Lambs are equipped to stand out. Lambs are equipped to graze on whatever is available. They are dependent on what is around them. They are dependent on what is around them. But if you look at wolves, they're equipped to kill. They're equipped to hide or disguise themselves. They hunt instead of graze. They're picky. They rely on their claws. They rely on their teeth. They rely on what they have. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm sending you out as lambs among the wolves. I'm sending you out where you do not rely on anything that you have because it's me that's going to do it, and I'm all you need. The wolves rely on their claws. They get to be picky about what they want to eat. They rely on the very things that they've been equipped to be. And we, Jesus is telling us, rely on the very thing I've equipped you to become. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out as lambs, so the church should be sent relying upon him. And I, I make a joke here, but this is dead serious. Like, I never understood the level of relying upon Jesus Christ until we stepped out as church planters. It is crazy. So, if you'd like to go church planting with us, let us know. It's awesome. It's totally awesome. It really is. But what it's done is it has stretched me. It has taken me to my knees. It has broken me at times where I would have never been broken like that before. Go out as relying upon Him. It's interesting, not only in the way that we are to be reliant upon who we are, He also says, don't take a money belt with you. In other words, no financial help. Don't take shoes. Don't do, don't do all these things. I mean, you can debate about all day if they're just supposed to take the sandals they had on, whether they're just supposed to carry them. Look, the point is, Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out relying upon me. All the materialistic things that you think you need, you don't need. All you need to do is to go, and I'll supply the need. Because what you find out later, when he sends them to the house, everything that they need, they're being provided for. Because here's the thing. Wherever Jesus sends you, you're not alone. So he sends them to houses where believers are already out, waiting to be a blessing to somebody when they come, man. And there's food and provisions there for you. Jesus sends his church by relying upon him. Not only that, Jesus sends his church with intentionality. Another part of the verse here you would think seems extremely weird for Jesus. For one moment, for him to say, hey, look, things are good. And for the next, you know, you think he's given this contrasted idea. We want to reach people, but don't stop anywhere on the road. Don't greet nobody. When they say, hey, you just keep going. I mean, that'll keep a member staying, won't it? It's like, as soon as you pass them, like, I mean, we get to Ephesians chapter 4, it's like, 
we're being told that we should impart grace to the hearers. And so imagine if you don't even hear any grace because you're not saying anything to them. They're just like, hey, brother, and you're like, Pew. Like, where's he going? With intentionality. Jesus has a mission and a purpose. And here's the thing you need to know. In this culture, what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, in this culture, when they would greet each other, here, here's a, a, an example. It's like Christmas time when you're going to your family's house. And you're like, all right, we're leaving. We're leaving in 10 minutes. You know what's going on, right? 10 minutes means that's the process of them starting to register in their mind that you're going to be leaving. 15 minutes, we're leaving. That's the process where they begin to think in their mind, this is the time to start packing some things up. So you actually get out of there, what, like an hour later, right? And so what happens in this culture is when someone would greet you along the road, as you go along the road, what they would do is they would stop, and it was a big deal. They would actually pull out bread and hang out and camp out for a little bit and kind of kick their feet up, man, and just kick. And Jesus is like, look, you have a purpose, you have a mission, and you need to be sent with intentionality. In other words, don't be distracted by anything. Get Go with intentionality. Jesus sends his church relying on, them, on him, and he sends his church with intentionality. Jesus sends his church. Notice Jesus makes two statements here that I said earlier that would be contrasted against what you're thinking. Jesus wants us to reach people, but he makes these two statements. Don't be intentional. And then when you go to this other house, he says, when you get to this house... Stay at that house, but don't stay at this house. It's weird. He's like, I want you to do that. Well, here's the thing. Um, what he is saying is where he is sending you. He's sending you to a place where there are going to be believers that receive you, and there's going to also be unbelievers that don't. And you have to be okay with that. Because what really matters is ultimately, even if he sent you and one person receives you, it's well worth the task at hand. Jesus sends his church. If he sends his church, and he does, and that's how he sends his church, where does he send his church? He sends his church to households. Verse 5, I just read for you, whatever house you enter first, say peace be to this house, and enter that house. Greet After greeting no one, you're going to get there, you're going to eat, you're going to hang out, you're going to fellowship, what we would say fellowship. He's like, hey, look, here's the thing. Jesus sends them to the household. This word household is the Greek word oikos. No, it's not the Greek yogurt. You know, that Greek yogurt out there, oikos. All right, I'm sorry. I mean, every now and then you got to, you know, just make sure everybody's with us. But um, no, what oikos means is the household. It's not just the mom, the dad, right? It's the mom, the dad, the servant, the cousin, the uncle, whoever's in that household. In fact, Acts 16, Paul and Silas is in jail. The jailer gets saved, if you know the story, right? The jail gets rocked. It falls apart. The jailer thinks they left. They're like, man, don't kill yourself. We're here. Basically, he's heard them singing the gospel for hours until it fell. Paul, what should I do? What do I need to get saved? Paul and Silas proclaim the gospel to them. That very jailer goes back to his household, proclaims the gospel to them. That household gets saved, and that is your first church plant, folks. When you get to that situation, you start studying that. You begin to understand that Lydia, the jailer, and all of them guys are making the first church in that place. And it all started in the place of captivity where Jesus Christ freed them. Where does Jesus send us? He sends us to the households. Folks, you cannot change a city without changing the households. Jesus sends them to the households so that they may change the city. Sometimes we get to where we flip the script and we think if we can change the city, what we need to do is we need to bring the church, we set up the church, we make disciples, and then we'll reach the community. Folks, that is not 
how the Bible, I would argue, teaches. The Bible says you come, you don't set up church. We are the church. We're not attached to a building. He sends his church to make disciples. As they make disciples, they build community, and then all of a sudden, Jesus has his church. We see this in the biblical model that Jesus is teaching us here. Where does he send his church? To the household. Notice the progression. In verse 8 and 12, he sends them to the city. Jesus has, when he birthed Mercy Hill, when he sets this church here, he didn't just have this community online. He had Yuli online. He didn't just have Yuli online. He had the city of Jacksonville. He didn't just have that. He had the whole world on his mind. Jesus sends his church. Matthew Henry, in his commentary of the Gospel of Luke, says this, and this is just encouragement for you because not everybody's going to receive your message. This is what he says. The quality of the receiver determines the nature of the reception. The quality of the receiver determines the reception. Jesus sends his church. This brings us up to this question, why does Jesus send his church? Because he has a mission for us. Jesus sends his church on his mission. So we ask the question, what is the mission? Folks, here's the mission. It doesn't need lights and cameras. It doesn't need the best strategy. It's this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mission carries with it a message, and the message is found in Jesus Christ. Here's the message. Folks, I think if we all get real in here today, we could all admit that we can be pretty messy, right? We can be pretty messy. And so because of our messiness, which we know is sin, that has separated us. The Bible says we were separated from, from God. And so in some way, some fashion, some way, how are we going to get right back with God? God sent his son. Just as Jesus sends us on mission, God sent his son on mission. Folks, I tell you what, this is some good stuff. He sends his son. His son has to die for the penalty of our sin, of our messiness. Because it would take a sacrifice of righteousness, which Jesus Christ totally lived. He dies on the cross. He's buried for three days. But he didn't stay there. He was buried for three days. That body began to breathe. He burst out of the grave, conquering the grave, death, and hell. He conquered the very penalty of sin, which was death. He's risen, sit at the right hand with his father, and he's coming back again. That message does not need to be wrapped in anything other than someone being willing to go and tell that there is a living hope out there and his name is Jesus Christ. That is why the church exists. Jesus sends his church on his message to proclaim, for his message to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Application, I want to give you three application points for the church. And this is for the believers that are here today. Here's three applications I want you to tuck and take with you. The first one is, live life dependent upon God. Live life dependent upon God. Know that when you give, you don't give to, but you give through. Live life dependent on God. Live life looking for opportunities to build relationships. Not just to get them to Jesus, but that they come to Jesus because they see Jesus in you. Live life looking for opportunities to build relationships. And then finally, live life expecting big things from a big God. I pray that and lay on that, and I have seen God build this team from the ground up, and it has been it 
exciting. It has been awesome. Expect the big things from a big God. That's the application I want you to take with you this morning. But there's one last question that needs to be addressed today, this morning. And that is the question of those of you who do not have a relationship with God today. Do not have a relationship with Jesus. And here's the question. You're asking yourself right now probably, what does this have to do with me? Like honestly, like what does this have to do with me? And here's my answer. Everything. Everything that has been unpacked this morning, everything that has been talked about, everything that has been read in the Bible, all is for you who do not have a relationship with God. Everything that Jesus sends, everything that Jesus does, everything that Jesus appoints and commissions, everything that Jesus asks us to pray for is for you specifically here today who do not have a relationship with Jesus. So what does it have to do with you? It has to do everything. This church exists right now because of this moment for you. God loves you. He died for you. He gave himself for you. So this has everything to do with you. So I would ask in just a few moments as we give the time for you to respond to the scriptures that you would come running. That you would come running to one of the pastors, to anybody of the leaders. That you would come running and just say, hey, look, I'm as lost as all can get out. I don't have a relationship with God. I don't know. I just need to meet Jesus. I'd be glad to show you and tell you the way there. I want to tell you a story, and I'll tell you this from the very beginning. I want to preface this, that it's wrapped. I cannot tell you this enough. Please know that this story is wrapped in humility. And that's the only reason I tell you this story, but I think you need to hear it. There's a young man years ago in Arlington area of Jacksonville, Florida. I assume most of you know Jacksonville. In Arlington, this young man was in Arlington and had come to the messiness of his life. He had come to the place where he had nowhere else to go. He had lost everything that he had. Nothing he could have, nothing he had. He had a car. All these things were stripped, taken from him. Finally got to the bottom of the barrel. Calls his mom one day. Says, Mom, I don't know what else to do. Lost everything. His mom very astutely says, you need to get to church. And uh, the son replies, well, how am I going to get to church? I have no way. Everything's been taken away from me. I don't have anything. This is in Arlington. The church is on the north side of town. I have nowhere to go. How am I going to do this? And then the mom says, maybe it's about time that you show Jesus that you're serious. This young man begins to take walk from Arlington and walks all the way across Arlington Mall, Regency Mall, gets on the top of Danes Point Bridge, starts walking up Danes Point Bridge, making his way to the north side, gets to the top of the bridge, and all of a sudden he feels like there's somebody or something behind him and turns around to look, and the last thing that individual wants to see is a JSO officer. He looks at the officer, the officer says, where are you going? The guy says, I'm going to church. The officer probably does not believe him. Puts the guy in the back of the vehicle, says, where are you going? He says, I'm going to North Jacksonville Baptist Church. The officer takes him all the way to church because the individual thinks maybe he's taking him to jail, but he takes him to church, pulls him on the roundabout, drops him off just in time for service. This individual gets out of that car, walks right inside, hears the gospel, gives his life to Jesus, and that man is here standing right here preaching to you this morning. Here's the point I want you to make. If Jesus can take somebody as messy as I was and take them from Dames Point to True Point, just imagine what Jesus could do for you today. So that story is wrapped in humility, not because it's all about me, because of what Christ did for me, he can do for you. Here's the thing. The Danes Point Bridge was my life-to-death experience. I mean, from death to life experience. You may not even have to walk across the bridge to come to that. But there's something there. Whatever that is, I challenge you to make that walk today. As Nick plays for just a moment, I wanted everybody, if you could just pray for a moment, and just pray this right here as I turn this over to Pastor Mike. I want you to pray this. 
Lord, are you calling me to go somewhere? Are you calling me to go somewhere? And then I want you to ask this right here. Jesus, what are you wanting me to pray for those that are going? He will communicate that to you from his word. Jesus, where do you want me to go? How do you want me to pray? Would you please come this morning? How about everybody standing and just praying around? Would you come this morning and maybe God's just need, you just need to get that relationship right. Relationship right, you come.